Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. The following is a CA original. The Mighty Sound of the South. Tailgating on Tiger Lane. Time three at the Liberty Bowl. Each one a Memphis football tradition. This is the Tiger Football Podcast with Mark Giannato and Jeff Calkins. How's it going, Tiger football fans? Hope you're uh, enjoying the past few days uh, a championship uh, celebration uh, for Memphis football, for everyone who supported Memphis football. The Tigers beat SMU 66-45, clinch the AAC West Division title, get to lift a trophy up at the Liberty Bowl, um, and they're going to the AAC championship game. We don't know against who yet. We don't know where it's going to be. But they will. The Memphis Tigers will be there, wherever it is. Um, UCF and USF play on Friday, day after Thanksgiving. The winner of that will play Memphis. If UCF wins that game, the AAC championship will be in Orlando. If USF wins and Memphis beats ECU in its regular season finale on Saturday, the game will more than likely be at the Liberty Bowl. We'll know for sure when the college football playoff rankings come out on Tuesday. We're recording this on a Monday. So it's very, very exciting times for Memphis football. This is just the fourth time in program history. So fourth time since Memphis started playing football in 1912 that it has won nine of its first 10 games in a season. And if I'm not mistaken, if they beat ECU on Saturday, they would be just the second team ever to win 10 games in Memphis football history. So really, for the most part, uncharted territory for this program. And keep in mind, none of this has happened since 1963. Hopefully you're enjoying this because seasons like this don't come around very often just in general and particularly when it's come to Memphis football history. Jeff, you were at the Liberty Bowl. I thought your column really summed up well the emotions, what what the day meant. But I mean, you've been around this town for 20 plus years. What just how crazy is this to think about that 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 this team is rolling like it is? It's lived up to the hype. It's going to go no matter what happens at this point, it's going to go down as one of the best teams to ever play Memphis football. What what, what do you think of this? It's funny, like Mike Norvell goes on about what this means to the city. That's an interesting question. Like how much of the city per se embraces this team? How much does this mean to the city? It's not quite the same as the Grizzlies, for example, going deep into the playoffs. It's not like that. What it is, is for the university and the community and the part, uh, there is a large part of the city that does embrace this team. It's almost just hard to get your mind around how far they have come in a short amount of time. If you go back to that 2010 season, for example, which was Larry Porter's first year, they won one game and they never scored more than 27 points. And eight of their losses were by 20 or more points. They were a joke, truly the worst team in college football. And to go from that to a team that can put up 66 points and you don't even go, wow, you just, that's who they are. 
it is astounding that that that's who they are. You say, ah, oh, damn, if Riley Ferguson hadn't you know thrown that interception on that first drive, like that's who they are now. It's they put up seventy or they put up sixty six or they like they're just a death machine on offense. And um, so you're living through what is truly the golden era of Memphis football. Obviously, first team to go to four straight bowl games, best records, winning, a senior, records, class winning ever. a senior class ever, records left and right, and they did it while having a coaching change and a quarterback change in the midst of it. You find me a program that has had quarterbacks as good as Paxton Lynch and Riley Ferguson back-to-back. Not easy to do if you're Alabama, uh, much less if you are the University of Memphis. And so... You know, it's unbelievable. It's fantastic. And it's a tribute to Justin Fuente, who got it started, and then Mike Norvell, who kept it, who kept it going and, and did what he said, elevated it. And also, by the way, to the administration, which gets beat up for lots of different things. But I do think it's a football. Uh, it's an, and, and, and as much as football coaches complain about the practice facility, mump grumble about the practice facility and that kind of stuff, I do think it's an administration that understands and believes in football and cares about football. So it's just fantastic. I mean, it's, it's, it's a hell of a lot of fun. It's fantastic. And you can't take it for granted because you never know what next year, you know, next year you may be looking at another new coach and a new quarterback. You're certainly going to be looking at a new quarterback and you may be looking at a new coach. And so you just savor this because they really are in a position to do, they've already done amazing things and they are in a position to, to do even more amazing things. Yeah. As you're saying that I kept thinking about, and I covered Virginia tech before this. And I remember when Larry Porter got fired and this job was open and Bud Foster's name was mentioned in some It couple, was, yeah, yeah. Just loosely. Yeah, loosely. But he got asked about it one day, and this is literally what he said. He said, oh, it's a coach killer job. It was it, the dead end coach killer job. He like he wouldn't even like leave it open, an, a door, a crack open. Maybe I would consider it. He's a coach killer job. It has gone from a coach killer job to a coach maker job in Five years, basically, and right. one one guy, and it is. Let's be clear. It is. It is Fuente who changed. Who yes. who, who did the original change? Yes. Uh, Norvell doesn't come here. But if Norvell hadn't built on it, then you would have said, "Well, Fuente was great. He's a miracle worker." But like he was the only miracle worker who could do this. You needed. You needed the next guy to prove that it is a sustainable program. And now. The candidate pool, if like the candidate pool, would be better still. If if Norvell leaves, and I, I still think that's a big if. I still think, you know, for instance, we were talking about this earlier. I think there's a much better chance, for instance, Mike Norvell is back at Memphis than Scott Frost is back at UCF. Or you know, the funny thing is, we were talking about this is that um, Scott Frost right now is undergoing is like the the hellish process that happens now, yeah. which is he's going through what Fuente went through two yes, years ago. Exactly, and if you think back to two weeks ago, two years ago. This week, like it was already everywhere that Fuente was probably out. They just lost to Temple and this was going to be the last game. And by halftime of this coming Saturday, the equivalent game, mm-hmm. when they just smashed SMU, I think it was in that game. But it was um, poor SMU. like everyone knew that he was gone. And so this week was just the this week was the exit week for like this week was chaos two years ago. It's very possible that Justin Fuente will end up leaving. Again, I'm like with Mike you. Norvell. With Mike Norvell will end up leaving. But it's not 
like it is right now in Orlando, like Orlando for Scott Frost. On the Western Front. And it's not like it was for Justin Fuente. And I think that's good. And that's good for the University of Memphis. It means that either whoever is pursuing him has been respectful or whatever. It could mean he's not being pursued, but I don't believe that. So it could, or someone is doing it respectfully or... It's been kept quiet, which is good, because it could be all hell breaking loose over the coaching job. But I'm with you, unlike two years ago with Fuente, when you just knew he was going to Virginia Tech because the perfect job was open and you knew they had targeted him. Unlike in, at, at with Scott Frost, where you know he's either going to Florida or Nebraska, and so that's that. Here, you get the sense that if the right job opens up, he will take it. And if it doesn't, and we don't know his definition of the right job, then he won't. And so... He might be gone, but I don't foreclose the possibility that he'll return. And I think it helps that they've got this championship to play for. Um, there's something else to talk about, so to speak, rather right. than. And uh, there's also a weariness about it. Like we all yeah. know, I, it's funny. I had him on the, my radio show last late last week, and I didn't even ask him about this question because why? You know, what's he going to say? We, we had lunch today. We had the football lunch today. We could have said, hey, has anyone asked, reached out to you about what's he going to say? Yeah. He's going to say this. My focus is 100% on this football team. I love being the coach at the University of Memphis. All we're thinking about is East Carolina. That's been our mindset from day one. It's it's honestly probably the answer. Like I asked him, you know, like one of the, I guess, a concern this week is you've already got this championship game clinched up and, you know, you've got a three and eight football team coming in here and you know how do you avoid overlooking them and that was sort of his answer to that too you know we're just focused on today yeah you know whatever it was cliche whatever but you almost believe it with this team a lot of times you 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 roll your eyes at these at these cliches not distracted by anything this yeah this team i mean the injury we almost it almost feels like another season like remember how many injuries this team had at the beginning of the year and didn't matter you know they have all these weather interruptions a lightning delay this didn't matter as i've said they won. They won games on Thursday. They've won games on Friday. They've won games on Saturday. They've games on one. They've won games where it's so hot that they run out of water. They've run games <laughs> where oh, there's nothing but 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 water coming from the sky. They've run. They've won games even though they've had to fly back and forth to Orlando without playing a game. They've won games when they've been down seventeen nothing at the half and had to score every single drive in the second half to win and did. And then Saturday they won a game where it was an early kickoff. It was a terrible weather report. It was a SMU scored right away. SMU then scored again after a Riley uh, Ferguson interception. There was a lightning delay, and they still blew them out. You know what's pretty remarkable? I was going through, I'm going to do something on this later this week. They lost a game this year. That Georgia State game, they lost one of their 12 games this right. year. And offensively, they are literally, like, they're going to, it's absurd the numbers they are putting up. I mean, Riley Ferguson is on pace to have the first 4,000-yard passing season in Memphis school in Memphis history. Um, he's on pace to set, shatter his own school record for pass attempts, his own school record for touchdown passes in a single season. Um, the nice thing is they, they're getting that game back because they're yeah, playing in the championship game. Oh. No, because they're playing in the championship game. Yes. So they are, in fact, at the end of the year, when you stack up his stats against Paxton's stats, stats from the from two years ago, they will have played the same number of games. Well, basically, he is putting together, aside from completion percentage, the greatest season a Memphis quarterback has ever had. Um Anthony Miller already has the greatest season statistically a wide receiver has ever had last year. 
And he actually, there's a reasonable chance. And and this past week, he became the career leader in every major receiving category in school history. There's actually an outside chance he breaks his own record from a year ago. He is 21 catches, 366 yards, and two touchdowns away from breaking his own records from a year ago in a single season, which over three games with him... That's true. 21 catches, 366 yards, and two touchdowns. Doable. Doable for but him. Not automatic. Not automatic. But it's but, a, it's but within the realm of He's going to have the two greatest rece- seasons a receiver has had in Memphis history. The other thing you see about this team, and we said this before the season began, the number of weapons on this team yeah. is out of control. I mean, it really does. It used to be, if you could have one decent halfback on the University of Memphis, you'd be like, oh, thank God, Gerard Arnold is playing for like one decent halfback. Now, they... they, they now you got one who can't even play, get on the field. Doron Dorsey is, is right. healthy. He can't play He's because the right, two sophomores two are, too, are good. too good. And then you've got... Um, and then at wide receiver, you've got two wide receivers who go out for various reasons. Mayhew, Mayhew couldn't play. And, and Pop Williams. And then Pop Williams couldn't play. And all of a sudden they're throwing to Coxie and you know, Machine Slade. Machine Slade. Yeah. And it just doesn't matter. It's Pollard. It's Henderson going for 52 yards and 70 yards. It's um, And this game, it was, I mean, there was that one drive, which was largely on the ground. And it ended with four straight Patrick Taylor runs where they were just blowing him off the, the. So you have Patrick Taylor for eight. I don't have the numbers here. Patrick Taylor for eight. Patrick Taylor for twelve. Patrick Taylor for eight again. SMU's like fed up at this point. They call timeout. Let's fix this. Come right back. Patrick Taylor touchdown. <laughs> like, like there's nothing they could do, and it is. It's fun to watch. They can. I mean, yeah. Offensively, it's just pretty incredible. Um, and you know, this week they're going to face another. ECU is actually not a bad offensive team, um, but I think they opened as twenty-eight point favorites. So really, it's just it's just a matter of Memphis not playing horribly in this game is what it really comes down to. And and it really it is an important game in the sense of if you want to go to a New Year's Six bowl. You gotta win this. You gotta win this game, and you're not just. You can't just win the championship game. You gotta win this one too, because Boise State is now in the college football playoff rankings. They were number 25 this past week. Right. Um. So there's a chance. You know, they, if Memphis lost this game, they would bu- probably go bump behind Boise State. So, um, still some stakes attached to this one, even if. UCF wins on Friday, and you already know you're going to Orlando. Um, I'm curious. You asked Mike Norvell during his luncheon today, you know, who are you rooting for in this USF-UCF game? And he didn't really answer Well, it's it. funny because normally you'd never ask the who do you prefer to play question because no coach is going to answer that, right? Because whoever wins between UCF and USF is who you will play in that game. And no coach in their right mind answers that question because it's disrespectful if you want to say, I'd rather play this team and then they end up with them and then they beat your ass or whatever. That isn't why I was asking the question. Mm -hmm. I was simply saying, because what hinges on is home field. Mm -hmm. If if, If South Florida wins, then you get to host the championship game. Wouldn't that be an accomplishment? So I thought he would at least bite and say, listen, they're both tough teams and I'd Whoever we play, we're going to have our hands full in the championship game. Would it be great and an honor and a fitting end of this season to have 
to be able to host a championship game at a place where we've been undefeated at home for the first time ever in history, that would be a great accomplishment. And yes, for that reason, it would be nice to see South Florida win. But whoever we, he wasn't even going there. He was like, he said, no, uh, two great teams, two great, two great teams, whoever they're two great teams, we'll play whatever's in front it'll of be, us. It'll All be I'm a worried chance. about is my team. Yeah. yeah. All so, I'm worried about is ECU. But I'm damn certain he wants to play. A, he wants to play USF. Because he knows that UCF kicked his ass. And B, not that they don't think they could beat him next time. They played horribly against UCF. And B, they'd like to play at home. Of course they'd like to play at home. Uh, I was going to say, though, uh, Riley and Anthony were asked after the game on Saturday the same question. Like, who would you want? Who would you prefer to play? And they were, they both gave the diplomatic answer of like, yeah, it doesn't matter. We're just happy to be in the championship game. I do think, though, they want another shot at UCF. I think if you shot them full of truth serum, who would you rather play? I think they. Well, say, I think they're the more winnable game. Like, well, there's a reason why UCF is an 11 point yeah, favorite so over USF. They're I, I a better think, team. I think, I think there's a part of playing UCF that will get them up and fired up and makes them happy. But if you really gave them the choice, they got to they got to choose behind the curtain who was going to win this game. I think they'd pick USF, and that's partly because it would be at the Liberty Bowl, but it's also they're not as good. Yeah. I mean, they've proven they're over not. the they've proven over the course of the season to be not as good. UCF is awesome, yeah. and uh, so um, and and yes, Riley Ferguson played badly in that game. He was also under unbelievable pressure in that game, and so he was. It, it was not all his fault that that I mean, it was not you know he, 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 he they can have a much better showing, but they will have to have a much better showing, and obviously we'll talk about that next week if yeah. they end up playing UCF. Well, I mean. It's funny. Memphis is, has now up to the number four highest scoring team right. in the country, and UCF, UCF is, is number one. But there's not; they're not far apart. What's the difference in like forty five? UCF points is up? averaging forty eight point two points per game, and Memphis, Memphis is averaging forty four point seven. Is that at forty eight point two to forty four point seven? Yes, UCF is averaging three points more than the, than Oklahoma State, who's number right. two. In Memphis the country. could go along if Memphis just plasters. East Carolina, yes. which they should. UCF will have a harder time scoring against USF, which is pretty stout defensively. They've only given up 19 points a game, and so Memphis could move up yeah. on the in the uh, offensive rankings based on whatever happens. Well, in this you game. wonder if you know Memphis got a little beat up in that game the other day against SMU. In addition to Mayhew and right. Williams, will they Christian Johnson and Emmanuel Cooper. Like I get the sense if they if they're up comfortably in the first half, you could see a lot of reserves in right. the second. This could be. A game I don't want to take it for granted. Yeah. I would like to see David Moore though. I'd like to see him. We saw I'd him like a little bit more at the end because yeah. it's funny. You know what this team, and this is partly because the reason we talk about it is it partly is in the calculus of whether Mike Norvell might return. Um, he knows he has all these players coming back. He says this stat all the time. It's his new favorite stat. 35 is 35 freshmen over the, the last two years. years. 35 freshmen. And that's great. They're all coming back. But there's not an obvious quarterback coming back unless it's unless you I will believe say, in one of the guys they have on their roster. I now. will say from being at practice over the past two months, there is a noticeable difference in my eyes. I mean, I'm not a coach. Between David Moore and Brady Davis, the other quarterback. I mean, David Moore is clearly... The number asserted two. himself yes. as number two, and he brings a dimension. He can run. with his legs, and his arm is pretty. He's he has some throws in practice. You can see Norvell gets jacked because he has a couple throws where he's great. But I also think if Norvell is back, 
he will go out and get another quarterback. Well, that's to what compete you would think. You'd go get you go you yes, go get, go get another college guy or a transfer some, guy. He'll or bring like someone that. else in to compete. You, you, you a transfer so. a grad transfer someone. Um, but on Norvell, by the way, in terms of his, it is we talked about this earlier. How he's not getting these questions. It's because he's not the uh, the obvious number one. He's not the obvious number one anywhere. No. Right. At Florida, he's clearly not the obvious number one. They're going after Chip after Kelly. Chip Kelly or Scott Frost, but probably Chip Kelly. Uh, at Tennessee, he's not the obvious number one. Everybody's obsessed with John Gruden, right, or Dan Mullen. Mm-hmm. At Arkansas, where you would think he'd be the obvious, might be the obvious number one. They're like, let's get Gus Malzahn, so he becomes the obvious number and one. And Auburn is going to want someone obvi- big, a bigger it's, name it's than Jimbo him. Fisher. He's yeah. the obvious number one, and the only place where he actually might be the obvious number one, or in that whatever is Ole Miss where you because we don't know the sanctions we don't even know what the hell they're dealing with yet and so it's hard to imagine at this point before we know what the sanctions are taking it so whereas Fuente was the obvious number one at at Virginia Tech from the very beginning and so I think that's one thing that's enabled him to go underneath the radar do I believe that various people have schools have talked to Jimmy Sexton about Mike Norvell yes of course Mm -hmm. I mean it has yeah yeah yeah, Jimmy but Sexton I, wouldn't allow that to not right, to happen. not happen. Right, Jimmy Sexton <laughs> would put the calls himself. Uh, anyway, it was a happy. It was a happy. It was a happy uh, uh, post game. My favorite comment was from Anthony Miller, who, when asked how he was going to celebrate, he said he was going to go home and chill and be with his girlfriend and cuddle up. So, so I talked like to his girlfriend big, today. Actually, talk, I'm doing a story on we'll him later on, yeah. on Anthony and Riley, and I talked to the, they both have longtime girlfriends. I talked to both of them today, and so it's nice the team. Yes, this is a team that celebrates by going home and cuddling up. So, uh, well, it'll be it'll be interesting this Saturday, Liberty Bowl. We, we forgot to mention if Memphis wins this game over ECU, it'll be the first time ever. They've gone undefeated at the Liberty Bowl during a regular season. So that's, that's an accomplishment. Also, Mike Norvell, uh, in his dual role as football coach and meteorologist, was careful to point out today that it should be beautiful weather. Um, good crowd. I mean, a, a rowdy crowd Saturday, but it was clearly kept down a little bit by the weather. And so, um, so he wants people to know that it's going to be beautiful Saturday. So come mm-hmm. on out. Yeah, well, we shall see. We'll be back next week to preview the AAC championship game. Hopefully it'll be here in Memphis, not Orlando. But till then, thanks for joining us. A new episode of the Tiger Football Podcast posts each Tuesday during the regular season. You can also subscribe to the show for free on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. I'm Sean King. The Tiger Football Podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal. 